0: I'm John Groves from Winchester and uh, I've been over here many times before. If you're a visitor you wouldn't know that so largely for your benefit I'm one of the leadership team at Winchester Hope Church and part of Guy Miller's sort of team that help look after churches in the commission uh, which this church belongs to and I've been coming over here for many years and feel very much at home myself. So it's good to be with you this morning, and I'm sharing on the subject, a spirit-filled church, which I think is part of your series on church, what sort of church we are, what sort of church we want to be. And I'm so glad that you want to be a spirit-filled church, because that's what I want to talk about, and I love it. And I think it's a very important distinctive uh, for us, we're not the only ones, of course, but for us to be a church. Of people filled with the Spirit. Probably that point I've just made, people, is the point to start with. Church, as many of you will know, is a people word. But I am just going to say the obvious for some of you because it's not always obvious to people around. I always remember many years ago when I was uh, teaching in a school, Big Boys Comprehensive, mostly English, but a little bit of religious studies. If I asked, a class of boys what a church was, they would all say, you know, a building, an organization. Actually, in the Bible, church doesn't mean that. It means a group of people gathered together for a purpose. <clears throat> That's what the original word ecclesia means, gathered for a purpose. It was used for all sorts of things, including political gatherings by the Greeks. But But the New Testament takes that word, and Jesus takes it really, and makes it very special. He's talking about his gathering, the people that gather to Jesus, the people that love Jesus, people that follow him, people that worship him, that proclaim his good news to the world. That's a church. A church is people who follow Jesus and gather to worship him. So when we talk about a spirit-filled church... We obviously are talking about spirit-filled people. So you won't be a spirit-filled church if you aren't spirit-filled people. Is that right? There won't be a spirit-filled sort of blob floating in the air here, or spirit-filled bricks and mortar. No, no, no. The spirit-filled church will be you. And it really is all of you, not just a few keynotes, not just a few leaders who go for it, No, we all need to be filled with the Spirit. And it's for your benefit and for your joy and liberty that you're filled with the Spirit. Amen? It's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to be filled with the Spirit. And we need every one of you to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to be effective in what God's called us to do. Right, we're going to focus in in a moment on on one example from the New Testament. The New Testament uh, seems to indicate there were several quite key churches that uh, were indeed spirit-filled communities. You can tell that by the way we dis- we, what we learn about them in Acts and then the way Paul writes to them. And I just want to focus on one, that's the church at Ephesus. I'm not going to spend long on the background, but I will just give you a little insight. We've got in Acts 19, the beginning of the church in Ephesus. So if that would go up, uh, that, thank you. I just want to read to you these first seven verses of Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, ah, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. On hearing this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied there were about 12 men in all. This is the beginning of a church in what was a large port city. You're a large port city as well aren't you Bristol? In Ephesus. And at the beginning It was born out of quite a dynamic, dramatic experience of the Holy Spirit. Just to give a few moments on this, because it's worth it. I don't know where you all are, and some of you may not be clear on your Christian faith. But when Paul first met these people, he wasn't quite sure what they believed about Jesus. They clearly were interested in God. We might call them God-fearing. Maybe you are. That's why you're here this morning. But they weren't clear about Jesus, um, and so he, he asked them an interesting question. In fact, one that uh, some people, now some Christians, would struggle to understand. Whether you could ask, he said, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" Basically, he looked at these people and thought they seemed to be followers of Jesus. They seem to be believers in God, but they they lack something. And so he asked the question, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" Now. Paul clearly thought it was possible to put your faith in Jesus and believe in him, but not yet be filled with the Holy Spirit, not yet have received the Spirit. Well, they quickly moved on and uh, moved the question to the subject on by saying, well, we we haven't heard about the Holy Spirit, don't know what you're talking about. And Paul didn't immediately jump into the subject of the Holy Spirit. He clearly went to the subject of Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for them. Because they'd heard about the possibility of a saviour from John the Baptist. They'd heard a bit about turning from your sin, there's something coming, there's an answer coming, and the lamb of God will be coming, but they hadn't heard beyond that. Now Paul is able to make them very personally engaged with the gospel. He says, now you need to hear about Jesus, and when you put faith in Jesus, you will come into the good of all that John promised you, looking forward. That was a unique historical time. We're past that time. But actually, those people do, in a way, symbolize what can happen with many of us. You may come to an Alpha course, or you may have a God-fearing sort of attitude. You want to get right with God, or a God framework, but you're not really clear about it impacting your life. Can I just say at the beginning this morning, you can come to know Jesus as your Savior this morning. It's not my main subject, but you can, and you should. Ask someone. Ask someone afterwards. How do you get into this? Ask someone like 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 Paul up here, you know, talk to someone, and he'll, then he or she will explain to you how to know Jesus. Well, having done that, Paul doesn't leave it at that. He baptizes them. They needed to be baptized now to show that they put faith in Jesus. Their old life had gone. They were now living a new life for Jesus. They died to their old life, a life for a new one. So he had them baptized in the name of Jesus. But he didn't stop there. It then says, after that, Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Because Acts, right the way through, seems to have this approach, the apostles always have this approach, that to to be fully active as a Christian to be fully engaged in all the wonderful things that the gospel brings, you need to have repented of your sin, which means you're sorry for your sin, you turn from your old life, you need to have put faith in Jesus to forgive you your sins, to take it all away, to give you a completely fresh start, You need to water baptize to show that you follow Jesus and that past is gone. And you need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the present now power of the Holy Spirit. It's a real thing. It's a supernatural experience. It's the reality of being a Christian. You receive the Holy Spirit. It changes you and empowers you. And here, there was evidence immediately in terms of tongues and prophecy. Something new had happened to these people, and they were speaking uh, speaking with a new uh, liberty and with new gifts that God had given them. So it's an exciting little example of what it is to become a Christian. It can happen for you this morning if you haven't already. But most of us, perhaps, have gone through what happened here. But that isn't the end of the Holy Spirit story for Ephesus, because... A number of years later, Paul writes a story, uh, writes a story, writes a letter, not a story, writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. The church that has started with this great experience, and obviously it had grown. It's now much, much bigger. We don't know how big, but possibly some people think up to thousands. But it's bigger, much bigger. But he writes a letter to them. And in that letter, we have this passage, which will go up now Ephesians 5 17 to 21. Thank you. So writing to the, this same church, now a more mature church, he says, "...therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which, le- which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything." in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this passage that we've just got up there is the passage I really want to take a few minutes exploring for you here in this great port city, relatively mature church, past that early stage. I want to bring these verses for you, all of you, whether you've been a Christian for a few years, only a few days, or for many, many years. I think this is relevant to all of us. And the key verse for me this morning is 18. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, etc., etc. Now, this is an unusual phraseology in this whole verse. It's worth a little bit of linguistic study. It's unusual in a number of ways. One is, it just doesn't quite come out in English. In the Greek, be filled with the Spirit is what's called a present imperative. So it's a command about an ongoing, continuous, repeated action. In other words, in English, we might write, go on being filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. So it's a command, which we'll come back to later, a command, interesting to go on being filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. Just let that sink in. So we get the weight of it. It's a command. Go on being filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. And it also in this verse has this interesting word instead after the bit about drunkenness. So it says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead. Now that is a translation of a word there in the original. It's not just the English padding it out. It's a deliberate word which uses a comparison and contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. That might be surprising to you, but it is drawing a, not only a contrast, but a comparison to it. Now, unless you think I'm just some modern wacky charismatic who's going to make some strange point, I'm going to call in two very weighty witnesses to support what I want to say what's that buzzing isn't it it's the heat it's not a fly or something would be, <laughs> be a very big one okay or locusts even so here we go this is not just me making a wacky charismatic point let's look at something that a professor bruce says in his commentary on ephesians 5 verse 18 now professor ff F. bruce is probably died 20, 30 years ago. He was a conservative evangelical professor of theology at Manchester University. So he says this, do not get drunk with wine is introduced here not so much for its own sake, i.e. as a warning against drunkenness, as it is as its value of comparison and contrast with be filled with the spirit. In other words, Paul isn't really just getting into one about drunkenness because He's deliberately bringing it in because it's useful for explaining a bit about being filled with the Spirit. And here is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the minister of Westminster Chapel, a good Reformed chapel in London. He was there for many years. He also died in the early 80s, I think. So here's what he says on his com- in his commentary. The next one then is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There are two reasons for the startling phraseology of verse 18. One, nothing is more characteristic of the old life we used to live in and which those around us still live in than drunkenness. That's right. Everybody thinks drunkenness is the best answer to everything in the world we've just come out of if we've been saved. That's what, whether they're a lord or a lagerlout, drunkenness is what people do. And he's right there. But then he goes on to say this, Paul's second object is to show that there is, in some respects, a similarity between the two states. We cannot get a true concept of the Christian life unless we bear the element of similarity in mind as well as the element of contrast. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? What on earth is the element of similarity? I think that last sentence particularly is quite key. We cannot get a true concept of the Christian life unless we bear the element of similarity in mind as well as the element of contrast. Being filled with the Spirit is fun. Being filled with the Spirit is not boring or weird. It's something very positive. It's very safe, so we have to watch the contrast as well as the comparison with drunkenness. But it is exciting and liberating. And we're going to explore that a little bit this morning. I just want to take four simple points of comparison and contrast with drunkenness. And learn a bit about the Holy Spirit. So the first one I want to look at is this. To be drunk with wine or beer, you don't take a sip. You are filled or soaked in wine. Now, I'm into linguistics a bit this morning. The Greek word for drunk is the same word as soaked. You get soaked in wine. You cannot get drunk unless you've got something very powerful by just taking a little teaspoonful or a little sip occasionally. To get drunk, you have to drink drink properly. <laughs> you have to drink a lot. You have to drink repeatedly. You have to take it on board with a certain abandon and excess, don't you? Now, I'm not advocating drunkenness with wine, but let's be honest, that's what you do. You do not get filled with the Spirit by just a holy little sip, just an occasional little bless me. You need to drink deeply of God. You need to drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. You need to drink frequently, often, with abandonment to excess. That's how you get filled to the full with the Holy Spirit continuously ongoing. Yes, we all, I hope, have had an initial experience of being, of the coming upon of the Spirit, like in Acts 19. But this church needed to, in Ephesus, needed to continue to all be filled with the Spirit. It wasn't much point saying, well, 20 years ago we had an amazing experience with Paul. Yeah, great. Now, what are we doing today? Are we being filled with the Spirit today? Are we going on being filled? Are we still knocking it back? Oh, do you remember that time when we all had a wonderful time in 1995? No, forget that. What are you doing today? Be, go on being filled with the Spirit. You need to soak in the Holy Spirit if you're going to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the result of soaking in wine is debauchery or sin or dangerous sometimes. But the result of being soaked with the Holy Spirit is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. So a Spirit-filled church, which we want to be, Bristol City Church, one of be a spiritual church, will provide plenty of opportunities for you to soak in the Holy Spirit. Now, they don't have to all be corporate. They can be in your small group, even on your own. Serious drinkers drink on their own. Well, that's serious, <laughs> serious people with the Holy Spirit drink of the Holy Spirit on their own. You do. You ask God to fill you. You stay in his presence. You listen to worship, just lying you know, on, in your, on your study floor, wherever you go, worshiping. And ask God, fill me afresh. Lord, you know, we, I mean, we drive in the car. Be a bit careful there. But driving the car, singing tongues, listening to the music. Keep drinking of the Holy Spirit. Keep drinking. But certainly have, have a lot of convivial times together. When you're in a home, small group or when you're worshipping, it's not always easy on Sunday morning, though it's possible. You can still get a few down on Sunday morning, But, but... But really, you need to be looking for opportunities to keep drinking of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right, second point. When people are drunk, they throw caution to the wind. That's pretty sad sometimes. In other words, they lose their inhibitions, uh, and they sometimes throw away their dignity, their purity, even their safety, which one doesn't recommend. And often, people are very loose with their money when they're drunk which I think is why casinos provide free alcohol, because people aren't very thoughtful. They just throw their money around when they're drunk. They've lost all their judgment and inhibitions. Now, that can be sad. It can be slightly fascinating, slightly amusing, I suppose, if a very shy, quiet person suddenly gets loud and noisy, or someone who's rather cautious normally gets all very bold and bravado, because that's what happens with drunkenness. And it's not often a healthy thing or even a particularly pretty thing. But there is an element of parallel with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, he gives us a boldness. Just think of the day of Pentecost. These people, 120 of them, they're in an upper room. They're probably in an upper room still out of nervousness because they know that the Jewish authorities probably would would arrest them or something. They are a lot bolder than they were because they've met the risen Lord Jesus, which is pretty good. And they've seen him, and he's gone back to heaven. So they're probably a bit more confident than they were. Well, they're definitely a bit more confident than they were. But they're still in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes on them, day of Pentecost, pours on them. What's the next thing they do? They're out in the street in Jerusalem. They've lost all their, if you like, their restraint. They've lost their their judgment almost. They're out there where anybody can see them shouting about it. Paul Peter's up preaching about Jesus, who you crucified. God's raised him from the dead. There's a boldness, isn't there? Now, that boldness is not just psychological. It's not just, we know Jesus is alive, therefore we suddenly are. Because they would have been doing it earlier. Something else has happened. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's changing their very character. Like we say, it's like someone who who would have been cautious and inhibited and fearful. Suddenly bold. And, and reckless, really, out on the street talking about Jesus. Now, spirit-filled people will be like that. You say, oh, I couldn't talk to anyone. Well, get filled with the spirit. You might find you do. You know, I think, I think God does stuff like that. It's not changing your personality, but it is getting rid of a lot of the fears and inhibitions and the cautions that sometimes keep us so locked up. That's one of the effects of the Holy Spirit. So a spirit-filled church will be radical for God. Will be bold in telling others about Jesus. Will be up front with what they believe. Will be a bit reckless with their money. In a good way. Generous. Giving. Giving and not expecting a return. Freely letting people have stuff. Freely they're giving. Generous with time and money. And will be generous with spirit, if you like. Like sometimes drunken people can be. Oh, I love you. Well, okay, we'll be like that, but in a healthy way. Let's go on. People who are drunk on alcohol can feel energetic and happy. That They, call, um, they can. We'll talk about that in a moment. They sometimes call fr- uh, cheap drinks the happy hour, because you're supposed to be able to get happy. It's one of the attractions of drunkenness, apparently. Unfortunately, this effect isn't always certain, is it? People can also be very depressed, can be very angry, but what they do get often is pretty emotional. It's unusual. You know, it might be, they might not always be happy, but their emotions might well show. If they do bring happiness, it's often short-lived, and it, it's just linked to the chemicals in the brain, isn't it? And it leaves a hangover afterwards. So all of those things are not what the Holy Spirit does, but the Holy Spirit does bring happiness and joy, without a hangover, and he doesn't suddenly make you miserable or angry. It's a positive thing. Being filled with the Spirit can give you energy. It can make you refreshed in your spirit, zealous for God, passionate for God, a passion you once didn't have. You were a follower of Jesus, but you didn't have that zeal, that passion. It can, it can give you a joy when circumstances would not indicate the joy was justified. So even in the midst of troubles, you can know a joy of the Lord. You can. You can know a freedom. A, ch- a church of spirit-filled people, a spirit-filled church, will be a place of joy. You'll have fun. There'll be a zeal about God's things, a passion for the things of God. A desire to see his name lifted high, a a love for him. And I think it will have an effect of being a very worshipful place. Let's take the verses we've already read, think about them. Ephesians 5, verses 19 to 20. Be filled with the Spirit, he said, making men what's it say? Let's just read it properly. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. A spirit-filled church will be a worshipping church. And there'll be emotion in the worship. It won't always be joyful. Maybe sometimes there'll be tears or a solemnity. But there's a passion. It's not dead. It's not cold. It's not formal. It's not like, ooh, better, habitual. Spirit-filled people love worshipping. And sometimes when they're really happy, they probably look like drunks. I, you know, because they're cheerful, happy. What are you laughing about and clapping about and dancing about? Well, we're called happy clappies sometimes. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. You know, let the Spirit of God loosen us up. Let the Spirit of God be seen. Let his, his evidence come out in worship. Now, this, this um, joy is not a meaningless thing. It's not like just, it's just emotion. It is emotion, but it's not just emotion. I find, personally, that that sort of joy is often linked to the Holy Spirit just reminding me of truths. So it's linked to the Word. So I remember how great God is, or how good my Father is, or some truth about what Jesus has done for me just hits me again. I can many times remember just being amazed at something I read in the Bible. Just something going to go, wow! (laughs) You know, so there's, there's, there's word and spirit together. It's not just I'm standing here waiting for an emotional experience. The emotion is linked to a truth. But I'm no longer limited to thinking, oh, yes, that's quite a nice idea. No, suddenly, <laughs> whoa, that's amazing what God's done. That's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Think, oh, he's a bit over the top. That's right, I'm a bit drunk with the Holy Spirit. Not I'm putting it on. I'm not telling you to. I'm letting let it go, though. Let the Spirit of God bubble up and give a joy and a freedom in your worship and in your conversation as you talk about things with enthusiasm, what God's done for us. So a Spirit-filled church will be a worshipping church, be a church that's often joyful in the in the Lord, We'll will enjoy talking about Him. There will be emotion, it won't always be laughter, it might be we'll weep together, we'll be We've been together as we pray and as we ask God for help or to break through in an area. There'll be a gratitude. There's a gratitude to the spirit-filled person. You're not a moaner, not a complainer, because you're aware of how much God's done for you. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it shouldn't be a miserable place. The idea that spirit-filled would be linked to misery is nonsense. And you'd have trouble defending that from the Bible. The spirit-filled church will be a place of joy and gratitude and emotion when needed, when right and appropriate. There will be an emotional response. Okay, let's look at the last one of the four I want to look at. Drunken people are said to be under the influence of drink because it influences everything they do. That's interesting, isn't it? Under the influence. Everything is affected. Everything. If you're drunk... It affects the way you drive a car, it affects the way you speak, the language you use, it affects the way you make judgments, the behavior you have towards people, how you behave to your family at home, sadly it's often not great, how you behave to strangers in the street, drunkenness affects everything. How you do your job or don't do it very successfully, everything is influenced by being drunk with wine or beer everything is influenced by being filled with the spirit absolutely everything it's exactly the same being filled with the spirit is not something just for the religious occasion just for the sunday morning just for that odd soaking meeting of an hour on a sunday night that's good that's the drinking time but the drunkenness lasts beyond that the filled with the spirit lasts beyond that it affects how we speak every day, how we behave to strangers, how we behave to our closest to nearest and dearest, how we work, how we uh, behave to those who we work with, how we drive our car, probably, how we do all sorts of things is influenced by being filled with the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on Ephesians, the guy I quoted earlier, uh, the book that deals with the rest of Ephesians 5 and six, I think, is called the spirit-filled life. And that's quite right. Because from this, these verses onwards, Martin or Jones says, Paul is explaining what a spirit-filled life is like. You submit to one another. You're the best husband out, you're a husband like Jesus to your wife. You're the best wife out. You're a wife like a church to the Jesus. You're the best employer, the best employee, you're the best parent, the best child. You 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 speak and think in a totally different way. Filled with the Spirit will come out in how we deal with things, how we speak to people. You forgive, you 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 reconcile, you, you give, you honour, you respect. It all comes out through being filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit we're told in Galatians is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. That's fruit, it grows. It grows through being filled with the Spirit. You can't treat those things as law. I have got to be peaceful. I've got to be peaceful. Oh, and I've got to be joyful. Peaceful and joyful. (laughs) Which one today? I've got to be kind. Uh, I've got to be gentle. You you don't. They're fruit. You don't work on them as such. You work on being filled with the Spirit. You work on letting the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. Yes, there are tangible things he'll prompt you to do. He'll, 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 he'll make you feel sensitive. I, I, don't want, I need to forgive that person. I mustn't, I mustn't say that. I, I want to talk differently. I want to honour them. Whatever it is, he'll be prompting you, and he'll be correcting you, and producing righteousness, peace, and joy. But it is fruit of being filled with the Spirit. The great thing about the Christian life, these Ephesians chapters... If you treat them as law, it's horrendous. I've got to be like this, I've got to be like that, I've got to be like that. No, 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 no. You are filled with the Spirit. You are a child of God. You are a child of light. Be what you are, and the fruit will come. Be filled. The thing you've got to work on is being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and letting Him guide you day by day through your life. So a Spirit-filled church will see a people who are all growing in holiness. All of us. So that if people come amongst us, they don't just find us a couple of nice people, but they find we're all nice people, in the best sense of the word nice. It's not a nice word, I know. <laughs> people don't like the word nice. I don't know why. It's probably a reasonable word. But anyway, forget that. <laughs> they They find we are pleasant. We are loving. We're accepting. We're forgiving. We're not grumbling about one another because we're spirit filled and, and actually praise God you do see evidence of that you see people coming and say oh yeah everybody here seems quite kind or happy they use their words yeah because but it's not like we're all just very nice in that bad sense of the word we're all filled with the spirit and he's changing us I mean I've got so, I'm not going to give you any of them but I get so many stories over the years because thank God I've had the privilege of being involved in church leadership through about 40 years now or more uh, in Hastings and Winchester particularly and I can think of people who were pretty awful when they became Christians honestly and I mean they were villains some of them and they got wonderfully saved and they would become in a way totally different they might still have rough edges and be very direct which is great but they actually were loving and they kind and they would do anything for you and they wouldn't you know they really were different they went out filled with the spirit they'd be forgiven and changed they'd come to know jesus and now they were walking in the spirit it does change you just as drunkenness changes people not always for the good being filled with the spirit does imagine a whole imagine this whole room sorry i hope you'd be able to live with this imagine this whole room everybody in the room was drunk this morning I don't know if you can imagine, I'm trying to think about it actually. Every single one of you had, had too much to drink. I think it would affect the general feel of the room, wouldn't it? The tenor of the room. Now let's put that picture aside. Every single one filled with the Spirit. Which I'm not saying isn't true, but let's provoke ourselves. What a difference it makes you come to a room full of people filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. Well, as we come to the end, let's be ready to challenge ourselves. Let's go back to my verse in our minds. Verse 18 of chapter 5 of Ephesians said, go on being filled to the full with the Holy Spirit. It is a command. Now, if it's a command, that tells me something. God would not give me a command if I can do nothing about it. What a cruel thing that would be. Go on being filled with the Spirit. How? I don't know. You know, it's just cruel. So this tells me being filled with the Spirit is not something you passively wait to be zapped by, is it? That's not the logic of it. You can't say, well, I can't do it. Who knows? You know, it's like lightning strikes. One day I might be filled with the Spirit. One day I might not. Who knows? No, no, it's not like that. There are things you can do, and indeed you're exhorted to do to ensure that you go on being filled with the Spirit. Very simple, but quite important things. Let's be sure we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you can grieve him by your sin or disobedience, unresolved sin, unresolved, unrepented of. The actual sin is bad, but the problem is when we don't confess it and get it cleaned up, because we can, thank God. 1 John 1. We can confess our sins. He will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, a grieved Holy Spirit isn't going to be you full of the Spirit if he's grieved. That's not going to work. So you need to make sure that you keep short accounts with God. Short accounts with God all the time. You can quench the Holy Spirit, which I think is slightly different. Quenching the Holy Spirit is just not responding to anything he tells you to do. So you don't take much notice of him he prompts you to do something like go and speak to someone or act of kindness or something else or just to share something and you always keep quenching it, I think he'll pull back a bit. So they're the negatives. We need to make sure we don't grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. And we can do something about both of those. We can make sure we don't. But then on the positive, we need to come to Jesus and drink. We need to do it. Let's look at this last, this is the last bit of scripture, last thing I want to put up. It's from John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now we'll stop at that moment for a minute, stop at that sentence. That's what Jesus actually said on that day. And if you'd been there that day, you might have been a bit puzzled what he was talking about. Like the woman at the well was. What are you talking about water? You know, have you got a bucket for the well? So it was a bit of those, on that actual day, what Jesus said was a little puzzling. And there was another problem on that actual day, when he historically said that, It wasn't quite possible at that moment for that to happen. So John, the Apostle John, gives us an editorial interpretation and application of what was said. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit. Ah, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Ah, later by his terms, not by our terms. When we believe in Jesus, we can receive the Holy Spirit. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now that's shorthand, glorified, is shorthand for the whole process really of Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, going into the grave, breaking out in the resurrection power and being ascended to the right hand of the Father into the glorified. So a process went on which by the day of Pentecost had happened, and now has definitely happened, a process went on which meant that this promise could be fulfilled. Now that's important, because when we come to talk about the Holy Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit, people often get into what their own qualifications. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I've, I've, this and I can't do, I, it's not me. No, no. The things that qualify you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm assuming you are a follower of Jesus now. The things that qualify you are what Jesus did, not what you do. Amen? See, the thing that was holding it up, if I can use that word, at this point, was that Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. John's very clear. So when he actually said that, it was a bit of a funny thing, because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. Now he's been glorified, no problem. Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father, and he's poured out the Holy Spirit. So now, the only thing you've got to do, though you have got to do it, is come thirsty and ask, which is what the Bible tells us. Jesus said, ask for the Holy Spirit. Your Father in heaven is a good Father. He won't give you a stone instead of bread, or a snake instead of a fish. He'll give you the best things. Come, if you're thirsty, and say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Amen? Amen. No other things need to happen. They've all happened. When Jesus died, rose again, and went back to the Father. The whole thing was changed radically on that occasion. The whole way in which God could move with men and women. That's the whole Pentecost thing. It's the glory of it all. The Holy Spirit can now be poured out on all flesh who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Can we come up? Thank you, James. We're going to just take a few minutes as we end to respond to this so let's stand together let's stand i think just as james and the band uh, settle themselves let's be clear let's do this first let's get clear if we feel we've been grieving the holy spirit or quenching him you know you've been disobeying things he's told you to do you know you've been suppressing them or ignoring them Ask him to forgive you. He will. Just say, if you know you've grieved him, you've, you've done things you shouldn't have done. We all are prone to that. Confess your sin and let him just wash you clean. Just get washed clean now. Jesus has died and risen. The price has already been paid. It's just applying, applying that to your now situation. Lord, forgive me for those rude words to, or the angry words or what I shouldn't have done or didn't do just clear your deck clear the decks just say Lord forgive me let's make sure we're not quenching or grieving the spirit if there's something you've got to do you just say Lord I'm going to make sure I put that right with that person when I see them I'm going to, I'm going to put that right but let's just take a few moments and then what we're going to do is begin to worship a bit after that and we'll up up pray and we'll ask God's spirit to come on us a bit more fresh So let's take that moment to make sure we're not grieving or quenching it. Just be real with it. Just whisper your prayer. You don't earn forgiveness by repeating something endlessly or trying to put it right. You ask Jesus. You apply the blood of Jesus to your life. Thank you, Jesus. You died for my sin. Thank you. You paid the price so I don't have to. Thank you. And now let's turn to him. Lord, we want to be filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, just raise your hands. Just say, Lord, just start showing your thirst. Now this is personal. You will never get drunk by watching someone else drinking pints of beer. Just watching other people drink won't do you any good. You need to drink for yourself, so you you don't worry about what other people are doing, and how it affects them may not affect you. But you want to be filled, Lord. I want to be, Lord. I pray for this dear church, Lord. Fill, fill them with your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, move on this body of people, move on these dear brothers and sisters who love you and serve you in this city of Bristol. Lord, come and fill them anew. Fill them afresh, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Sweep across. Fill. Be filled with the Spirit.